0: If you're the only one in your book club who wants to read books that will change your life, you need a new book club. And we think you found it. I'm Heather. And
1: I'm Susan. And can we be the first to say,
0: welcome, welcome to, to the, the club. club. Continuing on this episode in our story, but alas, we're moving into alas? Did she just say the alas? next phase of our story. So we had part one, and now we get to part two. Part two. In which Susan has affectionately called The Patriarchs. The patriarch, And she has a song to go with it. There was one song going through my head. Well, if you've ever seen Hamilton, you have a treat in store. <laughs> but last episode... And all the episodes leading up to this, it was all the creation of the world leading all the way through the Tower of Babel, which is when everybody was confused and then the nations were dispersed. Correct. Now... This next section is focusing on this one family, the family that eventually the seed of Jesus will come from. It's Shem's family, and it is getting into the patriarchs and Abraham.
1: All right, so we're in division two, which is chapters 12 through 50. It's the patriarchal history, which is the story of God and Abraham's family. And we're gonna cover Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the 12 sons who become the 12 tribes of Israel. Here come the patriarchs. <laughs> oh, are you gonna sing? No. I want you to know I sang, because all I kept thinking of when we studied this was Hamilton and I sang it and they cut it. So you're gonna hear from Buck instead because he's much better than me, but it is the same thing. The patriarchs, the president, it's all the same. You're gonna love it. We're probably in the middle bronze age from 2000 BC to 1550 BC, which is 4,000 years ago. So think about that. Still in that area of Mesopotamia to Canaan to Egypt. And I'm gonna have a map in the show notes. So when I mention that, you'll see kind of this really when you think about it in the scheme of the world, it's a very small part of the world. By today's geography, that is southeastern Iraq and Syria to Lebanon and Israel and into Egypt. All right, let me do it. just an overview of part two. When we left Genesis 11, the people had ventured down the wrong path. Remember? Again. again, again, remember our path of good and evil? They took a wrong turn. But God has promised remember never to flood the world again. So he had to intervene and disperse them. However, it does not seem yet that this move brings us any closer to answering the question of how is God going to rest. Rescue and restore and right the world to what he intended in paradise before the fall. Remember that he intended for us to live in paradise. And then the fall happened and he has this plan to rescue and restore and right the world, bring it back from that chaos into perfection. And who is he going to use it to do it? He's going to need a right hand man, Abraham of Israel and his sons, of course, and eventually Jesus. Go All ahead right. and sing it, Susan. No, Come no, on. I can't. I can't. It's for Bach. It's really cute. <laughs> So chapters 12 through 50 are the patriarchal history. These are our first or founding fathers, three divisions within that division based on the three patriarchs. And well, they all have this similar story, every one of them. Chapters 12 through 25, we're going to cover Abraham. He's going to make some bad decisions, but God is going to remain faithful. Then in chapters 21 through 35, we have his son Isaac. He is going to make some bad decisions, but God. Is going to remain faithful. And then in chapters 25 through 49, we have Jacob and his sons. And guess what? They make some bad decisions, but God is going to remain
0: faithful. Okay. And what Susan is doing is just kind of setting you up. We are going to read this in just a minute. We're going to start reading it anyway. And she's just setting you up to let you know what's going to happen. But this is one of the best messages in the Bible is that regardless of the decisions that you make, regardless of your past, God will and can still use you as long as you, to Susan's path get back on the path and follow his plan for your life. You don't want to do it like the Babylonians did without no, God. Yes. The plan without God falls apart, but the plan with God, regardless of any missteps, you can still be used by God and you will be. Great recap. Totally. God obviously did not
1: choose Abraham because he knew that he and his family would be perfect. We're going to find out just how dysfunctional they are, like all of us. In fact, you're going to really feel feel really good, actually, about your own crazy family after you hear about the dysfunction in Abraham's family. They're
0: crazy. And all of our families are crazy and that's fine. That's right. This is the
1: fall. We've all fallen and fall short. All right. But these little stories in the Old Testament paint a big picture. And I used to read Old Testament stories and think it was just, you know, a lot of stories about people filled with little lessons of what to do and what not to do. And all the characters were just examples to me of how to live. But there is a much bigger plan in those little stories. From the very beginning, there is this pattern over and over again. And that pattern is man rebels. God rescues man. God renews his promise to man. God executes his plan to restore the world through man and despite man. And we read this in every little story that we're going to read going forward. Abraham fails and God rescues Abraham and renews his promise to Abraham. Isaac fails. God rescues Isaac, renews his promise to Isaac. Jacob fails. God rescues Jacob, renews his promise to Jacob, and so on and so on. Rescue man, renew promise, bless him, move forward and plan to restore the world. The little stories paint a much bigger lesson than examples, just little examples of what to do and what not to do. The pattern points us to this fact that we need a savior. We simply cannot do this without God. We fail over and over. And then Yes points back to our overview of this entire book. If you go back to the very beginning of when we started Genesis, I gave this overview that if at the end of Genesis, if this is all you remember, it should be this. Genesis is the story of how God lovingly created a perfect world. He created man in his own image and put us in charge of ruling the world. We rebelled and the world became destructive. God responded by revealing his plan to rescue and bless the world through the family, of Abraham and his son and born of this family, Jesus. That's this big pattern of Genesis that we often miss When we read these little stories, this rescue, renew, and restore the world, which is what God has been intending since the fall in chapter three. And he's going to do it. He's going to do it. Now, there is this one little exception in our story pattern of patriarchs and, and patriarchs and Israel's failure. So, you know, the patriarchs in Israel are going to fail and fail and fail as we move through Genesis and Exodus. But there's one little patriarch whom I love, who is the exception and a foreshadowing of Christ. And that is Joseph. He is that prophetic foreshadow of the hope we have of the perfect person who's going to come and do it right. So in chapters 37 through 50, Joseph Instead of making wrong decisions, makes wise decisions, even though he's been persecuted.
0: And he is used by God to rescue and save his people. And I just want to stop for a minute and tell everyone, if you are lost, Susan is telling you what's going to happen in some future verses that we will read. So don't worry, we're going to read the whole story. Mm -hmm. She's just starting to give you the little glimpse into that. Um, I love that comparison that you're making because he does make good decisions and he did do things really, really well. He's not as perfect as Jesus. He was the no, per- he's perfect a person that walked the earth. Yes. Yes.
1: And, and really I'm jumping ahead to Genesis 50, our very last chapter. And so when we get to Genesis 50, there's a verse at the end of the story and it's 50, uh, chapter 50, verse 20. And Joseph says this to his brothers and he cries cries He literally cries. He says to his brothers, you planned this for evil, but God planned it for good to save many lives. This one verse at the end of Genesis summarizes the whole book from Genesis 3 on God is faithful and he is going to bless us despite our failure. The enemy planned the fall for evil, but God planned it for good to save many lives. And he is going to do that through the line of Abraham, whom we're going to study right now. From Abraham, there will come an offspring that will crush the enemy. And that pretty much sums up the entire journey we're going to take through the rest of Genesis. The Bible is a story about how God has a plan for us, to save our life, no matter how the enemy tries to harm.
0: Yeah, because what Susan said about that verse in in chapter 50, what you plan for evil, in this case, Joseph is talking to his brothers, Brothers. but what you plan for evil, God's going to use for good. That's the same that's true in your life today. What the enemy planned for evil in your life, God will use it for good. And what that means in simple terms is, The trials and tribulations that you have gone through, once you come out on the other side, you can walk somebody else through that and show them, look, it's going to be okay. You're going to get through this. I'm going to show you. I'm going to help you through this, and that's what all of us are here on the earth to do. What God, what the enemy planned for evil, God will use for good. In he your works life today. all things together for good, and that's
1: a New Testament verse that speaks to us. Yes, even though we fail, we make mistakes. He uses all things together for good because this plan is perfect, and He is going to save the world. So we're going to start in 12-1 with Abraham gets the call. Here,
0: he comes. here he comes, ladies and gentlemen. 've been waiting for well, here come the patriarchs. the pride of Jerusalem here come the of Israel the Lord had said to Abram go from your country your people and your father's household to the land I will show you I will make you into a great nation and will bless you I will make your name great Remember in chapter,
1: the chapter we just left in 11, the people of Babel tried to make a great name for themselves. God is saying here as a reminder to them that he will make Abraham great. Don't do it like they did it. I'm going to make you great. You don't have
0: to do anything. Continuing on in verse two, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. The
1: blessing is God renews his promise of fruitfulness. And this is the third time he kind of says this and he has expanded it. So the blessing is a repeat from when God blessed Adam and Eve in Genesis one twenty eight, Remember he said, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Then he said it again to Noah in 9, 1. Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. And now here we have third commission. It's like, okay, I'm setting sail on another ship. This is the third time I'm gonna send <laughs> you on, off. Not on the ark.
0: No, <laughs> not on the ark, but
1: here we go. And now here to Abraham, not only will you be fruitful, but you will become a great nation and all will be blessed through you. God's plan is to rescue and bless the world through this family, starting with Abraham. Here come the
0: patriarchs.
1: (laughs) The command. All right. I want to go over something that we've talked a little bit about in the past, where even in the Garden of Eden, God issues a command and all they have to do is obey. And if they obey, they get this blessing and promise. And so remember in the Garden of Even it was you can eat from anything, but don't eat from the tree in the middle. And if you do, you're know you gonna live in paradise, but of course they do. All right, in this case, there is a command here and he is very clear with Abraham. You must leave your country, your people and your household. We're gonna read that in a second. The promise he makes is I will make you a great nation. And that nation became the nation of Israel. The next promise he gave him was, I will bless you and give you land. And he in fact did. Abraham prospered even when he was wrong. He still came away richer. I will make your name great. That's recorded in the Torah and the Bible. Abraham was credited with righteousness. He was a great man. I will bless those who bless you. You're going to find out in Genesis, Abraham had alliances. I will curse those who curse you. He has victory over his enemies. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Through Abraham, we have eternal life through Jesus Christ. Jesus
0: Christ came from the family of Abraham. And if you are listening, just know this, God keeps his promises. He does. So we have this command calling
1: Abraham to leave his country and his people. And then we have these promises of what's going to happen if he obeys. And that is the point. There is an act of obedience that Abraham has to adhere to. And he does obey. And his faith in the end is credited to, his, is credited to him as righteousness in Genesis 15, 6. We're going to get to that. But no, even though he obeyed, he still falters. He still Makes mistakes. He still turns off the right path, but he's faithful to get back on. He's humble enough to realize when he does. And that's why it is credited to him as righteousness that we all have a learning process to go to. And that way, he is a great example to us. We can do this. So let's turn now to that was his call. And now
0: Abraham is going to obey in this initial call. Now for the fun part of the story. Verse four. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all the provisions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan. And they arrived there. Abraham traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Mora at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord had appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward Negev. Now there was a famine in the land and Abraham went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. All right. So a lot happened in there, actually.
1: At this point, Abraham clearly has a lot of trust. He leaves the safety of all he has ever known. For what? Question mark Do we really know? No, he didn't really know. And that's what I'm saying. He has a lot of faith in God. God it was a big deal to leave the safety of your family. He, they were nomads that kind of depended on each other for, you know, just there was no government. You didn't have protection in that land. And did they have maps or know where they were even going. Who knows? This was a big deal. And then when you move on and it says, for this land, uh, for this land, I will give you. This is our first mention really of the promised land. Shechem is located in the West Bank, just north of Jerusalem. And you can tell again, Abraham's faith is very clear. He takes seriously that this is going to one day be his land and he builds an altar there and he knows somehow he knew we don't know how that this was going to become a permanent place but then he leaves little did he know that this land would become a
0: 430 year target called canaan was he building that a- altar because he wanted to worship god in that moment to thank him for the promise or was he building the altar as a way to remind himself and his children when they walked by that place.
1: So I really think of altars and during this time as remembrances, like this is where the Lord told me this. And when we walk by, we will remember that we have this
0: promise. Because they didn't have written history. Right. So the way that they told their history was right. they would walk around and talk about it to their kids. And they would teach their children. Their children would teach their
1: children. So he, he does worship, I think. He builds this altar because he has this, meet, this word from the Lord that one day your inhabit your children are going to inhabit this land. Because remember, he was told, you are, be fruitful and multiply. You are going to be a great nation and a nation means lots of people. So I think Abraham is sitting there thinking about that. You know, one day my great-great-grandchildren are going to be populated here. And he builds this altar to remember that.
0: And I think it's also about his response to the um, a reward that God gives him for the obedience. So how many times has God told you to do something and you're like, well, God, that's kind of crazy. Like- like yeah. <laughs> it tells you to say something to that person behind you in line and you're like, I don't know, they're going to think I'm really weird. Or it tells you to go somewhere and, you know, this is an extreme example, but tells you to go be a missionary somewhere in another country or something like that. And you actually do it. And the reward that comes from that, is, is it, is it a, a reaction of his that he's actually wanting to worship and thank God? And so you build an altar that's for atonement and sacrifice sometimes, right? It can be for atonement and sacrifice. It doesn't say he sacrificed here,
1: but he built this altar and... And the altar would have been as probably a stone structure that would have been recognizable in the in the future if he came back by
0: so about his heart posture to thank god for the blessing and the, to remember that obedience. i i am doing this when i am lonely
1: and out on you know roaming and we're unprotected and we don't know where we're going to remember that oh that place back there in shechem we're going to inhabit that my i'm building this for my children's future and this this is just something God has told me to do and i have to remember that and i can't i can't get distracted by that. However, he's about to get distracted. Yeah, and, and this it's about is where it gets get the humanity. Because how many times do we feel like, gosh, I should really do that. That would be really good. But we get distracted from doing it. I mean, even this podcast, I have to be honest, like I had been asked before to write a children's, you know, um, curriculum to take people through just the important lessons of the Bible, children through. And I started it and I never finished it. Like how many times does God really want us to do something? We just don't stay motivated enough to do it don't
0: tell me something that God told you to do because I won't let you not do it. I know to. you're see, that's why, yeah, God brought you into my life. But, but here I raise my oh, Ebenezer, yep, yeah, here I raise my yeah, yes, yes. Yes. And so that's where um, he raised his Ebenezer to remember, but also to encourage him in the times when it gets hard. Right. So that you have that reminder. So what do you need to do in your own life? Where is there a promise that God has made you and you might feel discouraged in this moment. You might be walking through a period when you are thinking that maybe God's not going to keep that promise. What kind of an altar can you put there that will be a reminder to yourself that you need to power through because there is blessing on the other side. And,
1: And I have I want to say it doesn't always have to be something huge like his was to leave his family and go strike out in the desert. It can be something small. Like I have an older woman in my life who is very lonely and I just have to be faithful to visit her at least once a month and do things for her that she can't do herself. But it it is God's call for me to do that. I am the one person who can do that in her life. And I need to be faithful to do that. It can be as small as that or as big as being a missionary you know, in another country. Yeah. No, I, Abraham. Abraham didn't know at this time that it would literally take 430 years before they would inhabit Canaan, but he didn't have to know that this was, God gave him what he needed to do. So why did he leave? Because he didn't stay. He built the the altar and then he left. I really pondered that because I thought, well, why didn't he just settle right then if he hadn't gone down to Egypt? You know, this fascination with Egypt you're going to find, we're going to take a couple trips to Egypt and I just wish we'd never gone to Egypt because then they became slaves in Egypt. Why did he leave? Well, first, at this point, the Israelites, Abraham and his family, are a pastoral and nomadic people. That means they raised herds and moved around in seasons to feed them. They were used to travel. So it's not so out of the ordinary that he just builds this altar and leaves. Second, where did he go and why? Abraham started in Ur. Again, check out the map. Now, remember, all of our maps came from the Holman Bible Atlas. So I linked to that in the show notes, but they're really awesome, which I recommend. But Ur is located in that sweet spot of Mesopotamia on the Euphrates River, present-day Iraq. He traveled north along the Euphrates, or possibly the Tigris, they parallel, into what is now Syria. Then he turned south along the Mediterranean and into what used to be called Canaan, and now is Lebanon, Jordan, and Israel. He built the altar in Shechem. Then he went to Bethel, just a little bit south. Then he moved on to Negev, which is southern Israel. Then there was a famine in the land. So he left. Was this what God wanted? Or was this a lack of trust? I don't know. There was a famine in the land. Was he supposed to continue trusting God to provide or was he supposed to move on? And why did he go to Egypt? Again, there's a map in the show notes of that trip he took and what it would look like by today's countries. But Romans 8 28 says this, and I mentioned this before. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God loves Abraham. Whether this was a mistake to go to Egypt or was it God's plan all along? I don't know. But some bad stuff is gonna happen, and God in the end is gonna work it for good. And we talked about this earlier. That's what he does in our lives. We make mistakes, we we take the wrong path, you know. We have this choice of good or evil. And sometimes it's just not clear to us. And sometimes it is clear, but what we desire is not God's plan. We make the wrong choice. We can always get back on the right path. And And that's
0: when you have a testimony then. Correct.
1: And Abraham is going to get back. He's going to fail here, but he's going to come back. And he's going to fail right here as we read with wife lie
0: number one. Verse 11. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife Sarai, "'I know what a beautiful woman you are. "'When the Egyptians see you, they will say, "'This is his wife, and they will, will kill me, "'but they will let you live. "'Say you are my sister, "'so that I will be treated well for your sake, "'and my life will be spared because of you.' "'When Abram came to Egypt, "'the Egyptians saw Sarai, was a very beautiful woman. "'And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, "'they praised her to Pharaoh, "'and she was taken into his palace.' He treated Abram well for her sake, and Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abraham's wife Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me? He said, why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? So then I took her to be my wife. Now, then here is your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. So Abraham was clearly tested here. Did he trust
1: God or was he going to be a chicken? And okay, he's one of my favorites, but he's a little bit of a chicken on occasion. Yeah. And Abraham in faith, he had made this transition to a new life. The Lord appeared to him and confirmed his promise at Shechem. So he's on this kind of like spiritual high. He's walking with the Lord. He honors God. He builds that first altar. Then he gets tested. There's this famine in the land. And there is always, in my experience, a test after a spiritual high. Always. Yep. You know, you you start making wise choices, you grow in the Lord, and clearly you're going to be tested. Abraham's mistake and where he made the wrong turn on that path of good and evil is nowhere does it say that he prayed about the famine. Now he may have, we don't know. Mm -hmm. Again, we just don't know. He did not ask God for direction. He just went to Egypt. Nowhere does it say God told him to go down to Egypt. Does not say that. God told him to go to Canaan. He did not tell him to go to Egypt. Then in fear for his safety, he lied. That was clearly not the Lord. The Lord never said lie. Now, is it a half-truth? Yes. Apparently, Sarah was
0: kind of a half-sister kind of thing. You know, they did that, that back then. But he lied. So mis- the mistake he made was going to Egypt when it was not God guiding him to go. And then it's like the snowball effect, right? You you make that error. And instead of just going, you know, maybe I should come back to where I was and, and then ask God, then you have to lie to get out of it. And then it's like it gets bigger and bigger and bigger.
1: Right. Remember that trip to Egypt would have been days and days and days and days. He's moving a whole herd of whatever he's raising and this family and these tents. So I don't know how many miles they cover today. But when you think about it, he made the decision to leave because of the famine doesn't say he prayed about where to go. So think about it day after day. You're just making your own decisions. You're making your own decisions. Now, when he came out of Ur and he went to Shechem, he was following the Lord. He had been called. But then famine comes. His family's hungry. He can't feed his sheep. And all of a sudden he starts making his own decisions. And one decision leads to another, leads to another. Over days and days and days, he's moving closer and closer to Egypt. By the time he got there, he's in control. He's not ro- relying. There's no trust for God anymore.
0: He's in his own head. Now, while he's there, he still sets up a business and he is a fruit in that business. He acquires all the livestock. Oh, and so yeah. he's becoming, he's building wealth, but it doesn't mean it's ordained by God. No, he he he's taking gifts of flocks from
1: Pharaoh in exchange for Sarah, his wife. I guess he wasn't a jealous kind of guy. I don't know why he gives up his wife. We don't want to go there right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We don't want to go there. Now, here's where God has mercy. God intervenes. Remember, God's not in the business of flooding the earth again. He intervenes just like he intervened and dispersed everyone at Babel. He intervenes and he sends a plague. Hello, we're going to get to plagues in Exodus, foreshadowing God's intervention with plagues in Moses's era. And Pharaoh, I don't know why the Pharaohs always get plagues too. Let's just note that <laughs> something about plagues and Pharaohs. Pharaoh releases Sarah. So, he has to literally, God has to speak to Pharaoh pretty much for Pharaoh to realize this is not his sister, this is his wife. And wow. the reason we are being attacked is because I have taken somebody's uh, somebody's wife into my home. So Pharaoh had more obedience than Correct. even Abram in that moment. Correct. Pharaoh's eyes were open wider than Abraham. Abraham then has consequences. A, he is rebuked by Pharaoh. How embarrassing. People suffered disease because of him. And then he and Lot, we're going to get to this in chapter 13, have to separate because guess what? All this livestock livestock they've acquired starts to cause trouble. Additionally, and this is the biggest consequence of Abraham's mistake, Sarah acquires an Egyptian maid named Hagar, which leads to problems that exist even today in the battles going on in the Middle East. Abraham has his first son by Hagar, and that son is named Ishmael. And a much worse sibling rivalry is born, much like Cain and Abel. And in the future, Esau and Jacob, there is jealousy between Ishmael, Hagar's son by Abraham, and Isaac, Sarah's son by Abraham. And then Ishmael becomes the father of the Arabs. And today they are the Muslims. And that fighting between the Muslims and from Ishmael and the Jews from Isaac still exist in a rivalry today. So the consequences for Abraham lived on for centuries.
0: And stick with this story because it's about to get Crazy! It is good. So if you can binge, just binge right on to the next episode. Because I don't think I can stop right here because this is when it gets good. And you know, the big lesson
1: to me in this is God's path for you is always safer than striking out on your own. And it's pretty clear when Abraham decided to go down to Egypt, he was striking out on his own. And spoiler alert, he's going to do it again. And that's us.
0: Sometimes one lesson is just not enough. Yeah. So whose path are you on? Can you think of a time then when you got off God's path for your life? How do you get back on that path Yeah. What's a club without friends? If you're enjoying the Bible book club, why don't you share it? And then you can say, welcome Welcome to to the the club." club